Once upon a time, in a land far away. I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. We're getting into our second year. I'm super excited. Unbelievable. It is pretty shocking to me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but since we decided to talk about uh, persecuted heroin tail types in Asia, we decided we might as well stay here for a little bit longer in China. Make a, a good long vacation of it. Yeah, like while we're here, mentally, <laughs> we might as well just stay here for a bit. So we're actually going to be talking about the Harvest Moon Festival, which this year is on October 1st. Whoop, whoop. So you got time to prepare. Yes. We've got people ahead of time, so they have time to really get into the spirit of the Harvest Moon Don't Festival. you and your family actually do like a Harvest Moon Festival little party, or is that someone else? Well, we have been, this year we've been kind of celebrating the moons, like the full moons. Uh-huh. And it was this thing, I'm really into like nature-based learning, especially, well, I, I say like when my kids were like young, even younger, but... I'm like, I'm still doing it. So I guess it's like, <laughs> no, I'm just really into like this, like nature based, like learning and just having a wonder for the like earth that we live in. Yeah. And so we've been doing this one program that a curriculum that I found online that it follows the seasons and the moon cycles and has you kind of keep track of what things are changing in nature during each like moon cycle. And then also kind of every time there's a full moon, kind of acknowledging it, celebrating it by just like going out on full moon walks or hikes. Fun. Yeah, it's actually, it's funny because this year with everything so thrown off and everything getting canceled. Yeah. It's been really wonderful because like no one can cancel the moon. <laughs> Like <laughs> it's, it's going to keep going. Like, Don't you dare say that. Don't you dare say that some asteroid is going to come and blow it out of orbit any day. Now. Oh my gosh. Now I think scientists would see that coming though. Yeah. They're getting pretty good about stuff like that. Just watch the news tomorrow morning and we'll see. Oh no. <laughs> but no, it's been, it's been super fun because, uh, yeah, we've just been, Knowing that like every, like, I think it's 29 and a half days, there's going to be a full moon and we're going to celebrate it. And nobody can kind of like ruin that. No one can be like, oh, sorry, no full moon this time because of COVID. <laughs> like, no, the, the moon is happening no matter what. And so on October 1st, we probably will be going out on gotcha. like a moon walk. So we will be celebrating it, kind of. Not necessarily in the same spirit. Maybe I will tell my kids this story. I've been telling them these stories because they find them fun and there's no cannibalism. So <laughs> they're safe to tell to children. So those of you that only tune in because we're often telling stories that do involve cannibalism, this might be one to skip because you will be disappointed. Like, sorry, guys. So before we kind of like launch into the story, I just wanted to talk a little bit about cultures around the world that celebrate the changing seasons. Um, in areas that have a significant seasonal change, whether it's like watching fall, winter, spring, summer, or a rainy season and a dry season, the cultures will invent stories that kind of go along with those changing of the seasons either etymological stories that kind of tell why the seasons change or um, create gods that kind of control the seasonal changes. Mm -hmm. So it's a great idea to know about the kind of seasonal-based calendars that cultures have had for like thousands of years 
we've kind of touched lightly on that uh, in the podcast when we've talked about Yule. Yeah. So we talked about it a little bit with Russian Winter Tales. And then it actually it came up in our death episode, Death in a Nut, because in that story, they just kind of give this little line about like, oh, this happened a couple days before Christmas, which most people, if they aren't aware of like the pagan wheel of the year calendar, yeah. that would just that detail would just kind of fly over their head because they'd be like, whatever. Um, not realizing that what the story was actually saying was this is a time when spirits walk the earth. So, so something you may not be surprised to come across death while you're out on a walk along the beach. Exactly. It is really interesting how important seasons are in lots of places. I was just thinking too, like, you know, I know in Japan seasons are a really big thing. And in the same way that we talk about, you know, like familiarity with Greek mythology and stuff like that, or familiarity with like the Bible in like Western Christian dominated societies is going to help inform lots of the art that you see. That happens a lot in like Japanese and I'm sure other Asian art as well. I mean, as we'll see today with, with the story that we're going to tell, but like, I remember even like haiku, like I met a woman who her job, what she did full time was like teach people about Tea ceremonies taught people how to play traditional Japanese instruments, taught people how to write haikus. Like she was into like this preserving and passing on of like traditional Japanese culture. And she was telling me about haikus, like a true haiku has more rules than just, you know, the five, seven, five that we all learn. Like there has to be a seasonal word in the the haiku that will place it within a specific season of the year. The only one I remember was, um, the word for dragonfly, which is tombo, like that's one that's really commonly used because that's a word that when you see that in a haiku, it means this is taking place during summer, you know, which I thought was yeah. is, is kind of cool. And it's like you wouldn't necessarily pick up on stuff like that unless you were familiar with how important the seasons are to those cultures. Yeah. And one of the biggest reasons why seasons are so important is because the seasons control the food. And food controls your life. That's why there's a lot of cultures that have a kind of a Thanksgiving feast at yeah. harvest time. I mean, we in the United States, that Thanksgiving idea gets smushed in with the idea of like the people who came and colonized in America. Yeah. But... Really, Thanksgiving and holidays that are about gathering and giving thanks about gratitude, they are found like all over the world. And this yeah. harvest festival in China is no different. It is about gathering with your family. It is about giving thanks that you were able to harvest what you were able to harvest and kind of like closing things up for the year before it starts like getting cold, before like the weather starts to to really change in a kind of like, Oh, can't do anything right now. Just got to huddle in. Yeah. And so seasonal stories are really important to cultures all over the world that have like a significant change of the season. I know in Thailand we have, um, it was like rainy season and dry season and holidays to mark them. Mm -hmm. And, um, usually stories that go along with those like, time periods and it's like it just keeps you informed it gives you kind of like a, a set pattern yeah for your life and, and it's like we're kind of separated from that i think in like in america i don't think we think about it until you learn about stuff like this in the sense it's like think of our lots of the major holidays that we have lots of them are christian holidays but you know like christmas that is yule it's about winter you know it's very important that it's winter and it absorbed obviously lots of pagan traditions Easter is about like rebirth, like the all the dead plants coming back to life and things and that going has back. a pagan that has a pagan wheel of the year yeah. equivalent also and Thanksgiving, you know. So it's like we do have these same things here, even yeah. though I, I because we're so separated from the idea of because you can buy whatever food you want, whatever time of the year because of globalization. We don't think about the fact that like oh this we need to celebrate this harvest because it means we're not going to starve this winter, you know. But we still do have it. Yeah. I really love people and I admire people who like eat with the seasons or who do stuff. And like this year when following the moon cycles and the seasons, like with my kids, it's been really interesting because it was like 
we, towards the end of summer, we could go to like an orchard and pick peaches. And then I was like, well, since the peaches were fresh and we had to eat them, you know, while they were still good, I then had to be like, okay, so now I'm prepping these peaches, I'm getting them ready. And so I was coming up with all these peach desserts. And I was like, this is why people in like the US associate peaches with summertime. Yeah. Is because back in the day, people's parents were like, okay, let's get all the peaches, let's process them, either put them in cans and whatever doesn't go in cans, we've got to like make cobblers and make peach ice cream or like <laughs> peach, like just yeah. whatever, like peach lemonade, peach anything, peach jam, peach whatever. And then it's like I see people who are starting to gather up uh, elderberries so that they can have elderberry syrup. Yeah. Because a lot of people will use that in the wintertime to kind of fight against like disease. Yeah. But yeah, it's really interesting just being in tune with like the seasonal changes and doing that this year purposefully. It's been really interesting. I Like for me, noticing how the seasons like change yeah. and just like how you can feel them slowly changing with like the moon cycles. Yeah. Uh, my wife's really into that, like eating with the seasons things, but I don't really know so much because pepperonis never go out of season. So <laughs> that is so true. So seasonal stories kind of went hand in hand with shaping like mythologies and religions. And so they're super important to know about. So the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival or the Harvest Moon Festival in China and other Asian countries, because it's not just in China, um, it is held on, it says the 15th day of the eighth month on the lunar calendar, which is a fancy way. The 15th day of a lunar month is the full moon. So it's the full moon on the eighth moon cycle since Chinese New Year. So this year we're like eighth month, but it's in October. And it's like, yes, because October does not follow the lunar calendar. Right. But the eight, it's going to be the eighth month since the Chinese New Year from this year. So this year it's going to be October 1st. Side note, October is going to have two full moons this year. <sighs> it's going to be of course October it is. 1st. <laughs> no, it's crazy. I'm like, it's going to be... October 1st and, and the then 31st. October 31st, it's going to be a blue moon, which on the pagan calendar is, I'm going to Samhain, I think is how it's pronounced. It looks like it's pronounced Samhain, but I've been told uh. multiple times that's wrong. So Samhain, <laughs> which people call Halloween. Yeah. So it's like, ooh, spooky moons for 2020. Of on course, Halloween, we couldn't which have is also a Saturday. We have ordinary moons. <laughs> and it's already being canceled. Trick or treating is already being canceled across the country. Which is so upsetting because it's also going to be um, daylight savings time. So there's an extra hour of Halloween. Yeah. And it's like, nope. 2020 was going to be such a great year, but Corona had to kill it. What's funny is like, so many people were like, at the beginning of like 2020, they're like, oh my gosh, look at all these awesome, like the so many holidays like lined up to be like lots of extended weekends, like long yeah. weekends. And like, this is going to be amazing party. And it's like, no, everybody lost their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and are forced to stay at home alone and not get together yeah. with people. They're like, oh, you wanted a long weekend? To party. Have a long weekend by yourself <laughs> for three months. Like, no. Oh, too true. So the moon has been always like just kind of a celestial object in the skies that has like attracted people. And I have a super fast story that's also from China about the moon that I think is super like kind of funny and interesting. But it's the sun and the moon were in love with each other and they had been married to each other for a millennia and their children were the stars, but they can only meet each other once a month because that's the only time when they're like around each other. And so once a month when the sun and the moon meet, they make love Ooh. to each other. 
And after that, the moon grows larger and larger and larger, pregnant with a new baby star. Aww. And as the weeks pass, she grows large and full until she gives birth to the star and then goes back to her pre-baby weight. <laughs> and then she meets up with her husband again. <laughs> Which I think that's like a super fascinating story because it is the sun and the moon line up with each other once a month for the new moon. Yeah. So we don't see the new moon because it is up during the daytime, which is how we get eclipses. And then, yeah, people would observe the moon getting larger and larger and larger. And I love that they kind of related that in their minds with like a, a woman getting pregnant. And they were like, oh, yeah, the moon looks like a big old pregnant woman. <laughs> and, and so for that reason, the moon has often been worshipped by women and also seen as a feminine celestial object. Yeah. Um, because they're like, oh, obviously it it grows like a woman. And I also think what ties it together um, with ties women together with the moon is that the average moon cycle is also the average lady's menstrual cycle. Yeah. And so it was kind of women would use that to kind of like keep track of their menstrual cycle. And cause they were like, Oh, I usually have my period around the full moon or around the new moon or around the first quarter or the third quarter moon. And so women could kind of like keep track of themselves like that way and know when, you know, there was a change in their body when they're like, Oh, something's going on. Either I'm pregnant or I'm ill. Yeah. And so women and the moon have always kind of been like linked together in a lot of different cultures, like throughout the world. That's super fascinating. So moons have always kind of been linked to women. And so it's kind of no surprise that the story that kind of goes along with the Chinese autumn moon festival is a story about a woman and the moon. And Jeff is going to be telling us the story. Yes. This story is called Chang'e, goddess of the moon. And my Pronunciation of Chinese is terrible, but I did do my best to look up how to pronounce these. So it's spelled C-H-A-N-G apostrophe E. Chang'e. Side note, before you even start the story, I'm so sorry. It used to be Hang'e, H-E-N-G apostrophe E. Yeah. But they had, they had to change it because there was an emperor whose name was really close to that. And so since the characters were really similar to each other, it was actually super taboo and totally inappropriate for people to use his given name related to anything. They couldn't call, like they couldn't call, say his name. That was inappropriate. And so they had to change the name to Chong. That is super fascinating. So, this story starts not with Chang'e, but in the ancient past that there was a hero whose name was Ho-E, spelled H-O space Y-I. And Ho-E was excellent at shooting with his bow and arrow. And his wife was named Chang'e. And she was known throughout all the land for her beauty. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, like shocking. <laughs> but you'll really like this part too because it says why she was so beautiful. It says she had pale, milky skin, hair as black as night, and lips like cherry blossoms. So like a really pale face, very dark hair, and then like bright pink lips. And back in the day, there were 10 suns that would rise in the sky. So as you'd expect, that was not like the best condition to be living in. Like I know where I live (laughs) lately, it's been super hot. And just that one sun in the sky is like cursing at me all day as I'm like walking underneath it. But imagine like 10 of those things. And yeah, it's like if we were worried about climate change, that would be really concerning. (laughs) Like if suddenly 10 suns, but at least then it'd be like, okay, 10 suns isn't, you know, global like like our polluting (laughs) fault that's like the cosmos came to attack we just really hate you on earth and you know he was really really sick of this he's like it's too hot i'm tired of looking around and seeing the suffering of 
the human beings around me. So rather than inventing AC, he took out his bow and arrow and he just started shooting the suns out of the sky. So he's like, <laughs> started shooting them out of the sky, leaving only one to provide light to the world. I'm glad that he'd like had the foresight and restraint to not just like blow out that last one. Cause that would have been pretty bad. So Ji Wang Mu, who is the queen mother goddess of the West saw what he'd done and she thought it was like pretty chill of him to have done that for the people of Earth. Pretty chill. Pretty chill. And so she wanted to reward him. <laughs> so uh, Zhiwang Mu was known as the goddess of wealth, health, fertility, and calamity. And it's like one of those things is really not like the other. <laughs> <laughs> one of those things just doesn't belong. Yeah. I was like, well, I'm glad it was last. Hopefully it's something that's a little less often uh, occurring than wealth, health, calamity. and fertility. Calamity. <laughs> But she was also known to be the keeper of the elixir of immortality. And she's like, you know what? This will be a great gift to reward Ho'i for his bravery and this good deed that he's done for the people of Earth. It sounds like a science fiction story when I say, like, the people of Earth, as if there's going to be, like, a people of Mars that come to invade or something. Yeah. So Ho'i was super excited about this. Except for he was kind of in a tough spot because the elixir only had enough to make one person immortal. So he could either take it, become immortal, and live forever alone, or he could not take it and remain a mortal man with his wife, Chang E. So you could say it was a real Hoey's choice. <laughs> oh my gosh. Which I just love that that works. <laughs> Hoey, Sophie. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. He didn't want to leave his wife, Chang E, behind. So he... Also didn't want like the elixir just to fall in the wrong hands, so he hid it in a safe place inside of their home. But he had an apprentice whose name was Feng Meng. And Feng Meng knew that Ho Yi had this elixir. So on the 15th day of the eighth month of the lunar calendar, Yi leaves on a trip to go hunting, and Feng Meng knows that he's gone. So Feng Wang breaks into Hoi's house and forces Chang E to give him the elixir. But she refused. And in order to keep Feng Meng from getting it, she drank the elixir in front of him and started floating off into the sky to gain immortality among the other celestial beings. And she loved her husband so much that rather than floating off forever, she decided, oh, I'm going to go and live on the moon so I can be nearby to my husband. And when he came back and he heard what had happened, he was so, so sad, obviously, but he understood what had happened. He wasn't mad. He was just so sad that he would go out whenever the moon was out there in full and he would display cakes and fruits and the types of things that Chang E liked in the yard to give these sacrifices to his wife that was living on the moon. And other people around saw him starting to do this and they felt so bad for Yi and Chang'e that they participated in these sacrifices with him. And so from then on, they started holding this special ceremony on the 15th day of the eighth month, marking the day when Chang'e took the potion of immortality and went off. And that tradition spread throughout the country to what is known now as the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival. So I think this story is perfect for this time of the year because like... Everybody's like so thankful for the heroics of a character like Yi, who is like stopping the sun or the suns, all the extra suns from causing drought and starvation. And so it's like this time of year when we're thinking about like harvest and crops and being thankful that like that the sun didn't cook everything into like a drought. Yeah. And so like everyone's gathering together with their loved ones and being grateful for all the hard work everyone did. And so like a story of like heroes like Hoi, I mean, cause we're in that sense, everybody who helped participate in a harvest is like that yeah. hero who we only have this stuff in front of us today because of the hard work that everybody did together. Yeah. And I also love how this story is like, connecting the time of year with the moon cycles that are like marking that passage of yeah. time. The, the moon is like a giant clock in the sky because it, it like, it doesn't have, you know, like the hands of a clock on it, but it 
moves through the same phases over and yeah, over like again to like give us a visible the waxing track of and time. waning so you can kind of tell time by it if you need to yeah i mean even cuz if people get used to looking at the moon it's even like what side of it is lit yeah. like if you like look up cuz i know me like most of the time i was like i'll look up at the moon and be like oh it's a crescent moon not really paying attention to like which side the crescent yeah. is on just being like, oh, a crescent. But people who this was how they told time and used as a calendar, yeah. like, would totally be aware of, like, all of those, like, changes. And so this, like, this story really ties in, like, being thankful for, like, not droughts and also, like, the moon. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a does. feeling I can totally relate to with, like, I think of, too, you know, the killing off of the suns, cooling it down, like, it gets so hot and disgustingly humid where I live that like when it gets starts to get like just a little bit cooler, it is like something truly to be thankful for. Like you go outside, you're just like, oh, my gosh, thank, you know, Hoey for killing all those suns <laughs> <laughs> because it's been disgusting. We had a, a, like a couple of days like that last week. And then, of course, it got super hot again. But it was just like heaven on yeah. earth to be, you know, rid of all that oppressive heat. I was just going to say my kids were so excited this last week because we did, we had a drop from on Sunday. We had gone to a lake to swim and it was 111 degrees outside. And then the next day it was super, super windy. So it was like all Monday. It was super, super windy. And then Tuesday it was 70 degrees. Oh my gosh. And my kids were like, Mom, pull out our sweaters. It's autumn. And I was like, slow down, guys. Heavenly. <laughs> yeah. The thing that I think is really fascinating is how I feel like I, as, you know, an American, I don't really think so much about the moon for most of the year. But the moon is always there doing its thing. But for some reason in fall is a time when the moon kind of becomes important again. Like you think of Halloween and like, oh, a creepy full moon. And you think of like the harvest moon is something that I don't think people know what that is or means. Like I know before today I didn't. But if you say the harvest moon, people are like, oh, I I know that that's a thing, you know, and it happens in the fall. Yeah. So it's like, what is it about the fall and the moon that are so intertwined that even here in our culture, we think about them as being something that's together. This is about to sound really condescending, Jeff. I want you to think for a second about why the moon is suddenly more prevalent in the fall. Oh, <laughs> because the days start getting shorter and shorter. So you can actually see it when you're up and out. Yeah. And around. I was one thing that I, I hate it when somebody asks me a question where I know that this, if I just tell them they're going to feel like an idiot, but also if I yeah. lead them to it, they're still going to feel like I'm being feel condescending like or like they're I don't an idiot. feel like, I, I don't feel like that. Okay. I, good. I'm like, Oh, I'm like, Oh yeah, it does make sense. I do feel like, Oh, that's stupid. That I wouldn't have thought of it before. But it's one of the things like, Oh yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah. But in the same way, it's like, I don't think about the moon in winter, but I think it's also kind of the same thing because in winter, it's so cold, especially at night, that you're yeah. not spending time outside. So it's the time when the moon is out and it's nice enough to still be outside at night. Yeah. But at the same, but you'd also think like in spring, like why doesn't spring kind of have the same thing? Which it kind of should by that same logic, but. Well, because like in the spring, we're noticing that there's the difference that like we notice that the days are getting longer so we notice how there's like more sun and that it's warming up. But yeah. I think, yeah, when, when the change is that there's less and less light and then the nights when there's more light is like full moons. Yeah. And so, yeah, like it's all about what you notice when something changes. That's interesting. Like you, it's like you don't appreciate the sun until it starts to leave, but you also yeah. appreciate the moon more when you're like, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen, seen you, you in, a in a while. Yeah. yeah. Saying that too, I was just thinking, I was like, when was the last time I saw the moon? I was like, I can't even remember the last time I saw the moon. The craziest thing this year while I was following like the moon cycles is I also had to know kind of when, cause there's this, like, there's a space of like three days when the moon is at its like 
where it looks pretty full. Right. There's one day where it's at its fullest, but yeah. there are like three days when it's like pretty big. And I always pick the one where it's going to rise the earliest to have my kids kind of do that moon hunt. Yeah. Because I don't want to stay up until 930 like with my kids waiting yeah. for it. Yeah. And so it was like, like the first night it comes up at like 7.30 and then the next night 8.30 and then the next for 39. So we stayed up and did the 7.30 moon, watched like it come up and like ate food and were happy and told stories about the moon and stuff. And then like two nights later, I had to go do back to school shopping after my kids went to sleep so that somebody was watching the kids so that I didn't have to take them to Target. Yeah. So when I was getting out of the store, the moon was up and I saw that the moon was up and I was like, is it 1030 already? And I was like, oh my gosh, Katrina, how can you tell time by the moon? But I was like, it shouldn't. Yeah. I was like, oh my goodness. And I looked at the clock and it was 1030 and I was like, oh man, I didn't realize it was so late at night. And I was like, wow, I've really been looking at the moon too long. (laughs) It is really cool though, that there's so many things about that, that you'd think like, we would know and notice like the same thing that I went through with like realizing like, why do we associate fall with the moon? It's like, Oh, cause that's when we can actually see it. Like when you start yeah. paying attention, you can pick up on stuff so quickly. So it is really interesting when you start paying attention, the things that you can notice that seem yeah. like after you notice them, that they should be obvious, but you went so long without even thinking about it. Yeah. But then it's like, Oh, I, how did I get out of touch with this? But yeah, it is just about, what what you need to know and what you get used to, like tools you get used to using and stuff. So that's cool. And it does make me sad to think about the things that, you know, we have so many great advances in technology now that we can do things that people couldn't do before. But we also lose track of some really kind of cool things that people used to be a lot better at than we are today. Yeah, that's a trade-off. So one of the things that really like touched me about this story that like really attracted me to it when I first heard it was that it's a love story. Yeah. I love good, healthy relationships in stories. I love that this guy, he didn't want to be without his wife. Like he realized that if he drank that potion to become like an immortal, he wouldn't be able to like live with his wife anymore. He would have to go and be with the other immortals and he didn't want to be without her. I love that. I think that is so sweet. And then them getting separated anyway is like so beautiful and so tragic. Yeah. And that he like kind of devoted his life to giving like sacrifices or like, you know, kind of being like, I'm going to set out these cakes for her and that other people saw that love and also wanted to like gather together with their loved ones who they missed during the year. I'm like, Oh, that's a beautiful story. So I was super upset. Yeah. When I read that there are like older versions or alternate versions in different regions where Chang is like a jealous wife. Oh, no. she, because like her in some other stories, it's like her and her husband were like demigods. Yeah who got like kicked out of heaven. But then her husband did this like great thing by shooting down the suns and then like kind of asked for a like elixir from Shi Wang Mo, who is the queen mother of the West, who like guards the tree of immortality, like the peaches, the peach tree of immortality he asks her like for an elixir and she gives it to him as like a reward. But then Chang gets like jealous that her husband is going to be able to go back to live with like the immortals. So she like, she steals the drink while he's sleeping and she drinks it. And then she's like punished by being sent to the moon. And in some versions she gets turned into like a toad. Oh, whoa. Where, where she is like, on the moon with like as a toad and she has to like make this elixir of immortality for herself, like pound it with like a mortar and pestle for like the rest of time as her punishment. Yeah. And then there's some versions where there's a rabbit up there with her and he makes the potion for her. And so there are these like other versions, but it, ah, I was so crushed. Yeah. When it's when I heard that there were like, 
older stories or like other variants where the woman is like not good. And then I had to remind myself that this is a story and that whichever story resonates with me is the one that I can pick. Yeah. <laughs> I was sad that our version that we told didn't have the rabbit because in some it's like, oh, and she got to take up a pet rabbit with her to like keep her company. Because I know in the East, there's a whole yeah. thing about, you know, here we have a man on the moon, but they talk about there being a rabbit on the moon. I know in Japan, that's a really common thing. And I presume China as well, which is probably where they got it. Yeah. Which, like, it's interesting because the, um, if you look up Chang'e, you'll see that she's, like, tied with the Chinese Lunar Exploration Program. Oh. Because China, when it launched its first lunar probe in 2007, they named it Chang'e 1. And so there's been other Chang'e 2 and Chang'e 3. And so, yeah, they've been kind of playing off of these like myths when they're like making stuff, their lunar program. And there was even kind of like a funny conversation that happened with like NASA and Apollo one, uh, Apollo 11 uh-huh. crew in 1969, because um, it was like right before the first moon landing, somebody back at like NASA headquarters was like, like called into Apollo 11 and they're like, Among the large headlines, this is like a quote that I'm reading. So this is Ronald Evans. He said, among the large headlines concerning Apollo this morning is one asking that you, talking to the Apollo crew, watch for a lovely girl with a big rabbit. An ancient legend says a beautiful Chinese girl called Cheng O, that's how they wanted to pronounce it, Uh has been living there for 4,000 years. It seems she was banished to the moon because she stole the pill of immortality from her husband. You might also look for her companion, a large Chinese rabbit who is easy to spot since he is always standing on his hind legs in the shade of a cinnamon tree. The name (laughs) of the rabbit is not reported. And then Michael Collins of the Apollo 11 crew said, okay, we'll keep a close eye out for the bunny girl. (laughs) and it's like i'm so it's like i'm so glad that like just this like folk tale yeah that that is uh it is a very old story um it's been recorded for like in different versions for thousands of years and so it is like just so fun to me that it came up when yeah when human beings were finally able to actually touch the moon And like this like huge advancement where we've only had these kind of like stories about like, oh, the moon got there because of like a magic man put it, you know, just all these crazy stories. And when we finally had the chance to like touch the moon, like a, a person could physically touch the moon, they made this reference back to these like, old beautiful folk tales yeah space nerds are like the best at stuff like that because there's also that pretty famous one i mean you talk about like the apollo mission like that's greek mythology exactly but but more recently nasa sent um the the probe to jupiter called juno which is like jupiter's wife who's going to check up on him and he's hanging out with Io, who is one of his many mistresses and like all the other <laughs> moons that he's been hanging out with, is just like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I love how, you know, rocket scientists at NASA are still clinging on to these stories that are thousands and thousands of years old and incorporating them, whether as jokes or whether as things to like honor, you know, the heavens that people have been obsessed with for so long. It's just really cool. It definitely is super awesome. It like it touches me in like a weird way. So since I was super upset about the background on like Chang uh, as like, oh, a bad person, like, oh, she's like a jealous woman. I was like, then I'm going to go and I'm going to look up a bunch of stories about these other characters so that, you know, I could throw shade at all of them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Joking. I just, I just really wanted to, I was like, I need more detail on this person because I was like, they just said, oh, he's a famous archer. Yeah. But and I, I was it, like, I've never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> How famous could he be? I thought it was fascinating too, even though it wasn't in the version that we shared, like the version where they were like demigods that were like expelled from heaven first. 
it puts a whole new interesting nuance into it. Like you talked about too, like instead of just being rewarded, he's like, Hey, how about you pay me back by giving me the thing of immortality? You know, like there is kind of like, you can tell with like the Greek gods, like they're not all good. They're not all bad. They're very human. They're very nuanced. They have their good and bad sides to them. So. Yeah. Cause it's like human beings always create gods in their own image where they're like, the things that they value or they think are like the like cool or godlike or that if they were god they would do and so that's how you end up with like jealous gods and temperamental gods or you know instead of like gods who are just really like self-actualized beings who are like oh i can handle disappointment like no these gods are like how dare you i can't deal with <laughs> so like I love looking at gods and their weird personalities because they they always have such human personalities. Yeah. So as I was researching, I found a book called The Handbook of Chinese Mythology. So I found it on archive.org because I don't have infinite funds to get every book that's like out of print in the world. Um, <laughs> you can't afford to buy like a 200 year old first edition of this book. Come on. So this one actually, so this book, The Handbook of Chinese Mythology that I was looking at, it was published in 2005. Oh. So, and not not super old, but again, I can't buy all the books. That's what my husband keeps telling me. Uh, (laughs) We can't own every book. So I believe authors, it had several, but the name that's associated with it is Li Hui Yang. Obviously, I'm pronouncing every name wrong, and I apologize. But anyway, so yeah, the Handbook of Chinese Mythology. So I was looking up kind of just different stories about each of the characters that we kind of encounter in the tale that Jeff told, and I got an extended tale of... The whole shooting the suns out of the sky. Ooh, nice. Because it's like in the story that we like just heard, it's very, it's like two sentences, like, and this archer took care of it. (laughs) But I read it's two different versions that I found in the Handbook of Chinese Mythology from different provinces in China. I am going to combine them for the sake of storytelling. (laughs) Because they're both etiological tales. They're poor qua tales. They tell like why the world is the way it is. Yeah. And one of them, the version is to tell why roosters crow in the morning. And the other one was to tell about earthworm and a plucard bush, which... They're both very interesting. So I hope people will forgive me that for the sake of storytelling, I am combining these two stories. And I think that we'll live. We'll all live. I'll allow it. Yeah. I'm being clear that I'm doing that so that people aren't like, oh, no, you messed it up. (laughs) You ruined storytelling. So when humans had just come to this world, again, it makes it sound like it's an alien story. (laughs) But it's another way of saying, like, when the world was new, there were 10 suns that would go into the sky. And they used to come up into the sky in an orderly fashion. But then they wanted to start coming up together so that they could play with each other and hang out together. Those jerks. Those jerks. Too many suns all in the sky. Limit of two. (laughs) Two. we're, We're cool with Tatooine, but any more than that, it's just too much. It's excessive. So the suns burnt the earth into cracks. Men and women were dying from thirst and hunger. And they called on the hero, Ho Yi, or in some versions, it's just Yi, which, side note, scholars don't know whether these were two archer characters in different areas that then got merged together, or if they were one at the beginning and got split up into two different characters. So this character has a little like disputes about interesting who has the earliest version and whose version is the, but yeah, it's neither here nor there. So this hero, Ho Yi, he had 
great strength. And he decided that he was going to shoot down the suns in the sky. And he had a bow that was made out of tiger's bones and <laughs> arrows that were made of dragon's tendons. Sick. Which I was like, I don't, I don't know how those like materials are like actuality. Like if you actually, but it's, it's fine. <laughs> he made it work. They were magic. He, along with his like mighty strength, he had this like crazy bow. And so he quickly shot down the suns that were in the sky. He shot down nine in one breath. So I'm like, that's really quick arrow yeah. work, just for sure. The last son saw what was happening and quickly got scared and ran away. He quickly like darted down and then the earth was plunged into darkness. No, oh, no. <laughs> And so now that the earth was plunged into darkness into this one long, endless night, the humans who had been living in the environment before were like, <laughs> well, this is no better than <laughs> what we had last time. And so they told him, like, you have to stop. Promise us you will not shoot down the last sun. And he was like, he was like, well, I'm going to find it first. We have to find it. And the people were like, please let us find him. <laughs> And so Ho Yi started looking and he's like just in the dark, groping around, tearing stuff up, being just as frightening. And the sun <laughs> was like hiding, like, oh my goodness, no. So along comes Earthworm. Earthworm had an advantage. It was always dark <laughs> where it went for Earthworm. So he felt like he was like, oh, this is fine. This is normal. So Earthworm went to Ho Yi and he was like, hey, I know exactly where the sun is hiding. He is hiding in a purslin bush. And Ho Yi was like, super. How do I get there? <laughs> <laughs> because it was in total darkness. And he was like, I have no way of actually getting it there. And so here's this hero in the dark, now completely helpless, not knowing what to do. So then a rooster started crying out, gee, 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 which <laughs> means brother, brother. You know how in different countries they all think that animals talk different? Yeah. So the sound that a rooster makes sounds a lot like the word for brother. Uh-huh. I'm probably obviously mispronouncing it. But the rooster yelled out, oh, brother, brother, come out, please. And the son was still like, no, because he's like terrified <laughs> that he's like, like about to get attacked. And so he's like, no, I'm not coming out. And the rooster was like, brother, brother, it's safe. You could come out now. And so the son's heart was touched. Sons don't have heart, but play along with me. <laughs> so the son was touched and he finally rose up because the, the rooster had let him know that he was safe to rise up. And this is why the cock will always crow in the morning to let the sun know that it is safe to rise. It is also why the purslin bush will never become parched and withered in the sun and why earthworm will always be parched in the sun. <laughs> oh. Oh. Oh, snap. <laughs> Snitches get stitches. <laughs> That's hilarious. Those are some really cool, like, well, not for the earthworm, but. So I was like, I'd never heard of purslane. Yeah, me or either. Purslin. And so I looked it up and it is actually a type of plant that scientists find super interesting because it has, it photosynthesizes in two different ways, depending on the um, temperature. Oh. Uh, and so in like a mild, in like a drought situation, it will change the way that it photosynthesizes so that it can stay alive. But then when it's rainy or cold, it will switch the way that it photosynthesizes yeah, to be able to process and live with the amount of rain and water that it has. That's interesting. And scientists have even noticed that during mild droughts, it can sometimes do both types. Whoa. And I was like, that's fascinating. Cause I was like, I'd never heard of this. So I was like, I wonder if it is really good at surviving in hot weather. And yeah, apparently it's notably good at surviving <laughs> in 
hot weather. It's like it's talent. Yeah. <laughs> it's superpower. It's reward for, uh, you know, looking out for the, the sun when it was trying to hide from when it. When it was hiding, it was like, I will shelter you. I will yeah. shelter you, son. And the earthworm is like, I'll tell you where he is. <laughs> like, wow, earthworm. Wow. And so it's really interesting to me that, like, there's this side story. And I started to realize that the story that we have for the Harvest Moon Festival, it's kind of a conglomeration of characters and tales. Because now I was kind of like, well, Tell me more about yeah. Fang Meng, the apprentice. So the tale about Fang Meng, the apprentice, is that this guy, Fang Meng, he wanted to become a great archer. And so he went yeah. to the best archer. He went to Ho Yi, or just Yi, depending on where you're at. So he went to Yi and was like, will you teach me? the art of like being an archer. Will you help me to like improve my skills? And quickly Ho Yi was able to teach him like the, the art of being an incredible archer. And, uh, Fang Meng was like, kind of like getting more and more like full of himself. And he was like, man, I'm amazing. I'm incredible. But he realized that compared to Ho Yi, he would always be second best that he would never be the best there ever was. No, I suddenly I'm like, what's that Pokemon song? <laughs> and so he got more and more angry and more and more jealous of Ho Yi's archery ability and how everybody loved him because Ho Yi was also really good at shooting monsters and he was often hunting down monsters to help the human race. And so that's why when like Ho Yi was gone uh, on like a hunting trip. Hunting monsters. Fang Mang, hunting monsters. Fang Mang was like, oh, now's a good time to be stealing some like elixir. But before there was that version of a story where Fang Mang did that thing, there's this version where uh, Fang Mang went and he got a peach tree branch and like the peach tree is associated with immortality. The peach, the a peach tree is like sacred and special. It pops up in a lot of like Chinese uh, stories. Um, but he took this big peach tree branch and snuck up on Yi. I don't know whether he's like, I'm imagining him holding this like giant <laughs> tree and he's like creeping up. On like Yi in surprise. And I don't know whether it was like Yi was sleeping or Ho Yi was like busy doing something, but he snuck on up on him and he like beat him down oh, and he killed <sighs> Yi with this peach tree. And uh, that is why, in case people were wondering, that is why ghosts all fear peach trees. Because. Uh, because. Peach trees have been given this kind of special power against yeah. ghosts because like such a good man uh, like was beaten with them. <laughs> now they, I guess, repel ghosts. So if you don't like ghosts, plant a peach tree, I guess oh, is what I'm interesting. saying. But after his death, Yi was then worshipped as Zongbu, who is a god who is in charge of averting disasters. So Yi was able after his death, after all the good deeds that he had done, to be risen up to the level of a god. Oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah. So he got there after all. By his, like, goodness. I was wondering if maybe the peach tree thing had to do with the fact that, like, he was kind of like we've talked about before, like a demigod almost. Like, he was the best. And I wonder if, like, the peach tree, because of its existence, like connection to immortality or something that's something that can kill an immortal being and so that's why it has power against ghosts because it can like banish ghosts or whatever because it can or maybe it can like kill the ghost like the the immortal part of a person's soul or whatever like i don't know what ghosts are like in you know this kind of chinese mythology but i will also tell you man i'm all about this chinese mythological cinematic universe now like i want to know about all these stories you're like you're like i want to know this 
And so another interesting person who I wanted to like talk about a little bit, like while we're talking about peach trees and that like the mythology of like immortality. So she Wang Mu, let's talk about her. So it's like, while we're talking about immortality, let's talk about the queen mother of the West. She Wang Mu. Yeah. So she pops up in the story. I want, I want to know more about her. So she pops up in the story as this kind of person who it's like, just understood that like, oh, and then she gave like an elixir of immortality. And it's like, why does this woman have this? <laughs> like, who, who is this person? So Shi Wang Mu is the queen mother of the West. And she is the most ancient and powerful goddess in all of the Chinese pantheon. Nice. So kind of at the beginning of her in storytelling, she was this kind of like monster god. Like she was this kind of like all powerful, mostly animal mm -hmm. woman. And it wasn't until this, and this, this happens in mythologies where you have like a, a mythological figure that's super, super great. And then a real life person that's like an emperor to kind of, get people on his side to like have some street cred. He'll start making kind of propaganda stuff that says like, Oh yeah. And I'm best friends with this God, <laughs> or I'm the child of this God yeah. or like I'm descended from like this, like race of gods. Um, it, it's common. It's funny to say that it's like, it's common, but it is people pretend to be God's relatives all the time. So there's always like a claim to divinity, like in storytelling. And so there was this one real life emperor who like in his autobiography, he claimed that when he was becoming emperor before he became emperor, he was invited to the home of the gods and Shi Wang Mu became the super polite, beautiful woman and like paid homage to him. And so that's why he has street cred is because this crazy animalistic, like monster lady suddenly turned into this like demure goddess, but kind of ever since then, she's had this evolution in the stories where she is more human and more like approachable. <laughs> Yeah. So really the calamity aspect of her being the goddess of calamity came first and then she developed those more uh, pleasant yeah. and uh, approachable aspects as wealth, health yes, and yeah. fertility. fertility. But she still is like a goddess that's like has control over life, death, creation and destruction. Mm hmm. And which again, it makes sense that like female goddesses are often lined up with life and death giving because of like, they give birth, women give birth. I don't, this might shock some people to find out, um, <laughs> like, women give birth. And so that often gets reflected in, uh, mythologies that like women create life, they're creators, but then also if they have a dual aspect, they also are then in charge of destruction mm -hmm. or death. Um, but she tends the like heavenly garden, the celestial garden that has the peaches of immortality in it. And so she kind of has all of this, all of the knowledge and the plants that she needs to make elixirs of immortality or to bestow them on others. And there's a story of hers where like somebody gets to her, like somehow goes on like a long journey quest to her because they want the gift of immortality. And she's like, I will not give you a peach, but I will give you a seed, a peach seed that if you plant it, a tree will grow and the fruit that comes off of it will grant whoever eats them immortality. Oh, dang. And this, and this guy's like, great, I would love that seed. And so she gives him a seed and she says, it will reach its full maturity in 3,000 years. <laughs> I'm like, dang, girl. Oh, man. <laughs> and so it's this kind of thing where, I mean, because that's a story that's supposed to kind of make you think about like, I can't 
have immortality for myself, but do I want to plant this so that it creates this for someone else? Yeah. I might I might not have an immortality that I experience, but I might be able to create something in this life that does live on after me, that does reach like immortality. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. So, so I really like that story because it's like we think about people who have died but they've created a long lasting legacy behind them that even though they, their physical body didn't reach immortality, but what they created has helped them to live on. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm like, that's a, it's a super interesting story, but she, uh, she Wang Mu, she pops up in all these stories that involve immortality, that she's the person who holds on to that. And so, one of the first stories that Chang E pops up is in this super old divination text. So, Ooh. yes. And what's even more crazy about the divination text that's one of the first ones that she pops up in is that up until 1993, the book that the story was written in had been lost for 2000 years. Oh my gosh. The the text was found in 1993 inside of a bog in China. Oh wow. And yeah, and so the story would get referenced sometime in parts and pieces in different stories and we see this a lot too happening where Yeah. Like these books are lost to time, but they there's mention of them in like other places. Um, and so people knew that this one text had at some point existed, that it had been around. And so like, it's just incredible to think like, there's like so much culture and knowledge that's like buried in the ground or inside of bogs or like whatever. <laughs> and And we yeah. just have to wait for them to get, like either pushed up by bog gases or like <laughs> someone to stumble upon them while doing some kind of like development in the area. Yeah. But the earliest story, it's actually like pretty short. So if anybody's ever done like tarot, you'll know that like if you pull a card out of like a tarot deck, you'll you'll look at the card and it will say something, whether it's saying, like, if you pull out, like, the death and rebirth card, and it doesn't mean literally, like, you're gonna die. It means, like, you might be at the beginning or end of, like, a cycle in your own life, whether that's, like, the end of a project, the end of a relationship, or the beginning, the, like, rebirth stage of, like, you are just beginning, you're just kind of starting. Uh So... Inside this divination text, the story of Chang'e was in there, but it's very short. It is, there is a maiden, Chang'e, who stole the medicine of immortality from Shi Wang Mu. And when she got home, she quickly used the divination so that she could help figure out what her next move should be. And she was able to realize that she needed to take control of her choices. And that's what led her to flee to the moon. Interesting. And so the story is so different from like the story that you told. It's very short and it's yeah. all about her. She went straight to Shang Wang Mu and stole yeah. the medicine of immortality from that goddess and then fled to hide on the moon. That's so fascinating. Um, And so the story, like, over time has, like, twisted and changed and got more detail until it's this really, like, rich narrative of, like, a love story between, like, these, like, two people. It's just so fascinating to me that the story that I told actually is kind of like this weird conglomeration of all these other stories that got put into one and is like being used for kind of a specific reason. Like this one story, if you told it in full would explain like so many things, explain why peach tree is 
scare ghosts, why the cock crows, why this one plant is really good at surviving droughts, why earthworms get zapped by the sun, uh, you know, why there's a lady on the moon with a rabbit. Uh, it's just like, it's nuts. For me, what's really interesting looking at it with my Western brain is that at first the story that you told I felt like there were a lot of gaps because I didn't know these characters. I had like no backstory, no reference for like how they yeah. were. And it was just like really fast. Like, Oh yeah. Like Hoagie, he's this like archer and he shot down some sons and then his wife was there and then Fang Mang was a bad guy. And so it's yeah. all like, it's really quick. Yeah. And I don't get in depth with the characters and I, I don't, know them because I haven't heard other stories about them. Cause it's like, if, if you Jeff started telling me some story about Hercules, I have some background reference for who that is. Yeah. Because I've watched the Disney movie. No, <laughs> I, th- I was going to say, it's very telling that you chose like Hercules in Greek mythology. I'm like, yeah, it's like if I started telling you a story about like Spider-Man and then Tony Stark came to Spider-Man. Oh, Tony Stark, by the way, is Iron Man. He can like fly around in a suit of, 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 of metal, but he came to Spider-Man and he gave him this special suit. You'd be like, wait, hold up. There's this whole guy that flies around in a suit of metal and we're not going to yeah. talk more about him. He's just showing up in this one part. It's like, there's yeah. more, there's an extended universe around it. And if you know all of it, you understand how cool it is. And that's what this story is. It's like just watching one part. Yeah, it's like we came in in the middle and then also sped it up. Like we were just like watching it go really fast. Yeah. And then it's like, wait, how did all of this get to here? Like, what? who is this bad guy? I know nothing like about him. He's just this guy who hangs around. Like, who is Fang Meng? What's yeah. What is his um, deal? Why does he want to steal this stuff? Why does he want to steal this why stuff? Why does or an like, archer have an apprentice? That doesn't make much sense to me either. Yeah, like, who is this guy? Um, and so, yeah, it is. I love that you were like, oh, let's talk about this in terms I know. <laughs> the Marvel Extended Universe. But yeah, it's exactly like that. And I, I really enjoy when I'm reading a story and I'm like, I feel like I'm missing a bunch of details. Who are these people? Yeah. What uh, what other stories are they in that kind of f- like flesh out their characters that like tell me what their motivations are? Like, h- how did they know to go to this woman to get an elixir of immortality or why would she be known to gift it to somebody? And so this was a really enjoyable story to like look into because I was able to, you know, go into that kind of like. Chinese extended universe of like yeah. the like Chinese mythology and look at more of these characters and figure out what they're about. I guarantee there's a movie series about these oh, characters probably. in China. <laughs> but it's like I went from just enjoying this like one love story that I'd heard about like the season to now having kind of like a, a richer understanding of like what got them to where they were and also what got the story to where we're at today. Thank you for listening to the fairy tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. Like, maybe if you give him some kombucha, like, no, kombucha will not fix my husband. Oh, I want that on like a cross stitch. (laughs) Kombucha will not fix my husband. It sounds like super harsh.